Um, I, I want to open up with a word or just a question for all of us to, to consider and ponder, which is, what now? What now in 2020? As Christmas is over and Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is over, as we're planning for New Year to come around, what now for 2020? Some of us are super goal-oriented. You already have a list of things to do, right? Like things that career goals, family goals, relationship goals. And some of us are just not that goal-oriented. We just get by. But when New Year comes around, we, all, we always have this anticipation, uh, expectation that some things will get a little bit different. Some things will be a little bit better, and some things will certainly not get worse. And we all have this anticipation as we're setting our goals and preparing for New Year to come in just a few days what now? What about the goals for the kingdom? What about the goals for the glorious mission for Jesus Christ? And this morning, I want to preach and I want to plead with all of us this morning that all of our goals, all of our ambitions for 2020 must conform to the ancient old mission that we're called to do, which is to make disciples and to be a witness for Christ in our Jerusalem in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So, so today we turn our attention to Acts chapter 1. So if you have your physical Bibles or if you have a, a phone, electronic Bibles, please read along with me. Uh, and please don't close your Bibles because we're going to read, uh, constantly read along as we are spending time in our part in Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to read that slowly one more time. Um, and you can just follow along with me. I'm reading from ESV. Verse 6 says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he has said these things, as they're looking on, he was lifted up, <clears throat> and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they're gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. So let me give you some context of what we are reading just a little bit. I think this is a good context for us to understand. This, apart from the facts that Luke is the author, who, one who wrote the book of, book of uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And besides the fact that Luke was not the original 12 disciples, this book specifically deals with the life and the mission of the Christian community in the first century. This book deals with how the first century Christians practically followed Jesus amongst all the competing religious ideas around that time. This book deals with how the first Christian church started. So if you ever, ever wondered why Christians gather once a week to worship Jesus, if you ever wonder where Christians get their, their missional zeal and passion from, if you ever, ever wonder why in the world Christians would, would go out in the world, risk their lives, and, 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 and forsake the comfort of homes to, to proclaim this guy named Jesus, this is that book tells you why, how, and where. And with that being said, in our context, specifically in our context, Jesus was risen. Just about a month ago, Jesus was crucified, and he was buried in the tomb under Roman Empire's rule. The fact that Jesus was crucified on the cross is a historical, universal fact that 
that no atheists or no other religious leaders has ever, ever disputed. The contention, however, was the fact whether Jesus was truly God. The contention still is whether Jesus was who he said he was, whether he was actually God. And this is not a talk for apologetic 101, so let me just spoil the ending by Jesus was risen from his death after third day. And after Jesus was risen, he appeared to his disciples for 40 days, teaching the kingdom of God, speaking about the kingdom of God, and he told them, don't leave Jerusalem yet until you will receive the Holy Spirit, the very presence, the power of God. And then we come to our text, and Jesus was ready to go home. He's ready to go back home and to reclaim his glory, to reclaim his heavenly throne. So they gather one last time. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this question is, it's a little bit strange, a little bit peculiar. The reason being is that, that on, the on, hand, on the other hand, this, this question was expected. This question was sort of, sort of, yeah, it's expected. It's that this is what they would ask. The reason being is that because in, according to Jewish tradition, when you promise the Holy Spirit, when you talk about the Spirit of God, that means it's the end time. The, the end is about to come. The fact that Jesus was risen from his death, in fact, that Jesus promised him Holy Spirit, so the, the, the disciples have thought, okay, this is time. This is the end time. The, the Jesus is going to restore all things, and this is a time. And, and the fact that throughout history, Israel has been conquered by so many different civilizations, so many different nations, also added their expectation for Messiah. And by the way, the Jews are still waiting for this redemption. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come and restore the kingdom to Israel. And so many of the Old Testament prophecies are filled with the promises of the ultimate redemption for Israel. So in translation, here's what the disciples were asking. The disciples were saying, Jesus, now you're risen from his death. Now you're risen from your death. Now that you promised the Holy Spirit, are you now going to come and kick Roman Empire out? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to give her a glory back like the good old days? Are you going to, to judge the wicked finally and you're going to bring ultimate hope and restoration to Israel? Their question was not misguided. In fact, it was expected. It wasn't that much of a stupid question. However, on the other hand, other hand we cannot let the disciples off the hook that easy because they've been warned several times when Jesus is alive. They've been warned that the time and the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus told in Matthew 24, 36, concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Luke 17, 20, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. So their mistake was not the fact that they asked the question. Their mistake was the fact that they misunderstood the concept of the kingdom, of the kingdom. In their mind, the concept of the kingdom was limited to, to political and territorial kingdom, a nationalistic view of the kingdom. How do we know this? Because they asked the restoration of kingdom, not of the world, not of the other nations, but to Israel only. In their minds, the kingdom equated with kingdom of Israel, then their nation only. Their interpretation of the end time was tied to their nationalistic political redemption. Here's one scholar commenting on this passage. He said the apostles were still dreaming of political dominion, of the reestablishment of the monarchy, of Israel's liberation from colonial yoke of Rome. 
So here's the first distraction for the mission. Here's the first distraction I believe that affects our brothers and sisters to accomplish the mission in all of us in this room. The first distraction is our tendency for a political bias and political understanding to drive our interpretation of Scripture. That if we're not being careful, just like the disciples, our political and nationalistic hope and agendas will certainly and surely creep into our lives. It will change how we look at Scriptures. It will change how we look at the world. It will change how we interact with one another. And sooner or later, we will start using Scriptures to justify our political gains, our political agendas. And I see this on both sides, right? Democratic parties or Republican sides. And I know where I am. I'm in Chicago, right? I'm, I'm one of the most passionate, politically driven cities in America that everyone has a political opinion. Everyone has a saying. And that's fine. It's, it's awesome that we're a conscious voter, but we cannot let either side influence how we look at the world, how we look at scriptures, and how we interact with one another. Right? The Word of God commands, not just tells us, commands us to, to love one another despite whether someone is a pro-Trump supporter. Right? The Word of God says in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that, that my, you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But oftentimes we isolate someone because they have a political view. If the Word of God has a final authority over our lives, then we can respectfully and lovingly submit to our government officials, even though they may be idiotic, and even though they may not be right. If the Word of God has a final authority that we don't let this political chaos that's going on right now cause us to lose sleep, why? Because we know that who's ultimately sitting on the throne, our God is in control, that He appoints leaders, He crushes leaders, that all things work for the glory of God. And we lose sleep over political chaos because, why? Because our hope is in politics, not in Jesus. And that's what we are facing in our churches, that political gains or agendas are dividing the church of Jesus Christ. If the Word of God has a final authority, then we know that no government policies or legislations can ultimately bring peace and restoration to this world. Why? Because they have limited power. The only person who can do that is our King Jesus, and our King President is coming back. Make no mistake that he's actually coming back to make all things good. As Pastor Ave prayed for today, that today's not yet, this is not the time that Jesus comes back, but when he comes back, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more pain. And when he comes back on that day, every name shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This is the gospel truth that we have. So let me ask you some questions, dear church family. Let me ask you some questions. Are you spending more time watching and obsessing over politics instead of spending time in the Word of God, instead of, instead of fellowship with other saints and being part of the missions of God? Which, where's your time lies on? Are you losing sleep over politics instead of losing sleep over the fact that there are millions of people around the world who will perish apart from believing in Jesus today and tomorrow? Is your hope rest in politics? Are you spending more time obsessing over policies and legislations rather than eagerly waiting for Christ to come back? Where's your hope lies in? And I want us this morning, I want us to identify our tendencies this morning. I'm not just taught preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself too. Every time I preach, I'm not preaching to just the congregation, I'm preaching to my own soul. 
What are our biases and tendencies that are driving us how we look at scriptures? It's, this doesn't apply to just politics. This applies to the culture. This applies to the personal preferences. What are some ways that are driving us how we look at scriptures? I want us to identify those tendencies this morning. I want us to identify where we are this morning. And I want us to come under the scripture of God as what it means to have a king. Even if we don't like what he says, we submit to the king. That's, that's what it means to have a king over our lives. So first, I want us to identify our tendency, and this is a first great distraction, is our tendency for politics to get in the way of viewing scripture. And as they were distracting, they were confused. The disciples were about the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus gently turned their attention in verse 7, and he says, it is not for you to know times or season that, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't worry about the times and seasons, bro. Jesus, I, I mean, it's, it's fixed. Our Father knows the time is fixed. But here's what you need to really worry about. Verse 8, your Father has, uh, verse, I'm sorry, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses at Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here, Jesus lays out our glorious mission that we're called to do. And then he lays out our missional identity. Then he lays out the scope of the mission. So we're going to go by, just break it down one by one. First, what is this glorious mission that we're assigned to? What is this mission that I'm talking about? This glorious mission, Jesus said that we will be a powerful witness, witness with power in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria and to the end of the earth, in our city, in our state, in our country, and to the nations. This is the, the assignment that God has given all of us in this room. Second, what is our role? What is our identity in this? That we will be a powerful witness. What is the role of witness, right? The role of witness is someone who has seen, experienced, and heard things, and here she simply tells other people what he or she has experienced, heard, and seen. Then a Christian witness then, Christian witness is someone who encountered the living Jesus, someone who knows the Father, someone who knows the Holy Scriptures and teachings of Christ, and someone who shows their, their love for their neighbors with their actions, and someone who also proclaims the Word of God, who Jesus is from the Word. It's not just actions alone. It's not just social justice alone, but it's with words that you're proclaiming the words of Jesus, saying that Jesus is God. But it's not, just act, it's not just words alone. It's also with actions. It's about showing the gospel. Not just talking about the gospel, but showing the gospel to our neighbors. And that's our role, to be a witness. And Jesus said that we will not just be a normal witness, that we'll be witness with power. That we'll be witness with power. That word power is often used with reference to miracles in Acts. So when, Jesus, when the disciples were performing miracles and, and healing people left and right, they're doing in the power of God. When the disciples needed courage to speak about Jesus, they're doing in the power of God. It's, in fact, power is essentially required and, and related to be a Christ witness. So here's what I'm saying today when I'm, when I'm talking about powerful witness. I'm not, talking about, I'm not saying that you will go outside this church today and you will heal people left and right. You ask people, can I heal your disease? Or I'm not saying that you will perform miracles when I'm talking about power. But when I'm talking about power, is that, that every child of God in this room is equipped 
with the Holy Spirit, the very power of God who, that raised Jesus from the death, according to Romans 8, dwells inside of all of us in this room, every child of God. And that when we proclaim the gospel, when we proclaim the good news of Jesus, we proclaim the most powerful testimony that has ever been proclaimed in human history. That's what I mean by power. The power relies in God, and God is with us, even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like people are rejecting us, and even when people are like, oh, you're making fun of us, even when we're not feeling power, the power of God is working in us and to other people as we are proclaiming the gospel. As I'm proclaiming the gospel, God is humbling me. God is making me more dependent on him. And God is making me trust in him more. As, at the same time, he's doing the work to the non-believers about Jesus. And he's working in their hearts to, to soften their hearts for Jesus. The power of God is working inside of us and to other people. That we will not just be a normal witness, but that we will be a witnesses with power. That's what... That what I believe Jesus is saying. This is what one commentator, he said this, the power in the kingdom of God is spread, not by, is spread by witness, not by soldiers, through gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, by the work of the spirit, not by force of arms, not by political intrigue, not by revolutionary, revolutionary violence. So in our case, not through social justice alone. In our case, through the proclamation of Christ, and showing that love to the unbelieving world. That is our role, witnesses with power. That's what Jesus assigned all of us to do. And lastly, the what is the scope? Where is our mission field? Where do we go? Where do we, where do we identify to go mission? Well, Jesus tells us Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, this is a little bit complicated, I'll say, because not everyone seems to agree, where is our Jerusalem now? Where is our Judea? Where is our Samaria? And people don't seem to agree. Where is our places to go? Where almost all the commentators agree that this was a table of content. This verse 8 was, was describing what was going to happen throughout the book of Acts. So chapters 1 through 8, people stayed in Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through uh, 12, uh, people spread out to Judea and Samaria because of the persecution. And then chapters 12 to 28, the gospel spread to the end of the earth. At that time, Rome, through Paul's missionary journey. So this was a description of what was about to happen throughout the book of Acts. So without going into details about what this means for us in 21st century, what is clear in our passage is that Jesus is expressing his plan, that he's not interested in just reaching Wicker Park. He's not just interested in reaching just Chicago or just United States. He's interested in reaching out all these parts of the world all at the same time. That's what Jesus is clearly expressing here. That he's not interested in just in one city or one state, one country. He's expressing his interest, his plan to reach all over the world. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And if that's the case, if that's the case, then we don't want to miss what God is doing. We don't want to miss what God is doing in our city, in our state, in our nation, and other nations. So here's what I'm suggesting today. I know it sounds crazy. It's going to sound really crazy, but let me, let me break it to you. But here's what I'm suggesting today. I believe a local church should get involved in all of these areas all at the same time. I believe a local church should get involved in local context city, state level, national level, and global level all at the same time. So let me break it, to, break it down to you. A little bit how this is really practical. It just takes a little bit of intentional planning. 
for local ministry here in Wicker Park, you guys know what to do, right? There's so many ministries here. The Church of the Beloved has many opportunities to get involved in local parks, so I don't need to talk about local ministry. But the Beloved has as overseas mission trips that you can practically and physically go to get involved in global missions. If you can't go, then you can financially support them and pray for them, right? That's one way to get involved, right? And the other, other creative ways you can get involved is to... Um, I lost my thought. All right, to, to maybe adopt a, a country or nation that you might be interested in and start praying for that nation, right? And start praying for, for missionaries and start praying and supporting them financially. So that covers local and global. The state and national level, as, as Pastor Rave just did, we pray for the nation just now, right? We can easily get together church once or twice a year or in a small group. Pray for justice, pray for redemption, pray for hope, pray for wisdom for the state and the nation all at the same time. And that's how we can get involved all at the same time. But the key here is that we don't want to miss what God is doing. That if, that if we're too focused in Wicker Park, that we're going to miss what, what the glorious God, the work that he's doing around the nations. But if you're too focused on the nations, then we're going to miss the glorious work that he's doing in Wicker Park. And that's my hope and my key is that we all have part to play, that we cannot neglect one area over the other area because we don't want to. It just takes intentional planning. But I believe it's possible, and I believe we're all doing it right now. Which leads me to my next point, which is the second hindrance, second distraction that distracts the mission of God. Verses uh, 9 through 11. Verses 9 through 11. Verses 9 said that when he had said these things, as they're looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they're they gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So this is what's happening here. As, as they're looking at the sky and looking Jesus going up, right, they were just looking. Not doing it, they were just, just looking. And then the angels had to come down and said, why, why do you keep looking at the sky, man? Why do you keep staring? Don't you know that Jesus is coming? Didn't he tell you he's coming? But don't you have a job to do? Don't you have a mission to accomplish? Why do you stand there and not go but just watch there? And this is, I believe, is, a, is the distraction that affects our brothers and sisters more so than anything any distraction that we can face, which is, we're just stargazing. We're just scanning at the sky. We're just letting other people do the work of God. We're just letting other people baptize people. We're letting other people share Jesus. We're just, we're just watching. We're not going. We're not playing. We're not actively getting involved. We're in the sidelines. We're just crossing our arms, and we're just watching. We're just watching professional pastors do their work. We're watching professional missionaries do their work, and we're just doing, go, going about our own business, about our own lives. We're just gazing at the sky and that not realizing that we're actually called to play, that God has made us his missionaries, his soldiers. It's not just the, the pastors or missionaries. In fact, that you have more power and more influence over your coworkers than we could ever have 
on this platform or stage. I'm glad that people bring their, peop uh, their friends and families to church to hear the gospel. But the ultimate reality is that you are the church. and you, have, you, have, you know the same thing that I know. You know Jesus, and that's enough. The ultimate, the, the reality is that we're called to be missionaries. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, every Christian is an impo either an imposter or a missionary. And I really believe that. We're called to be a missionary in our workplaces. We're called to be a missionary in our families, in our neighborhoods. But too long, we just, we dumb down the gospel and it's just, we just want you to be saved. We just want you to come. We just want to enjoy God. But not knowing that we're called to, to serve, we're called, we have this responsibility that we have to proclaim Christ. And then this affects me more so too. It's my own fear, it's my own laziness, it's my own apathy that affects me more so that causes me not to play. I, when people look at me, people are like, oh my gosh, he has so many mission opportunities. And, to the, and, and if I'm being honest, the truth is that I miss 90% of opportunities that God gives me than, than I actually take. Even just this week, I just missed the opportunity to share Jesus. It was right there in front of me, but I just missed it because I was afraid. Right? That's, that's the reality that we all have. That we are afraid to get involved and not knowing that we're called to play. And this is a distraction for us. We're just waiting and gazing and, and looking, not knowing that Jesus has called us to play. So let me ask you some questions again. Let me ask you some questions once more. Are you watching or doing? Are you going or are you staying? Are you watching others do the work of God, the same work that God has called us to do? Are you planning to sit back and watch this upcoming year for the kingdom of God, or are you planning to actually play and get involved for 2020? Are your goals for 2020 centered around this mission, making disciples and being a witness, or are they something superficial and fickle? These are sobering questions that we all must ponder on as we are preparing for New Year. And this morning, I just want to honestly examine our hearts today. Asking hard questions before their year ends. Asking must questions that we need to ponder and constantly think about. And then after we identify our areas that we come short, we repent, we go before the Lord, we ask for strength. And this is what we have. This is, this is a goal. This is a mission for all of us in this room, not just me, not just for Pastor Abe, not just for one person, but for all believers sitting in this room, we're called to play. Now, at this point, you might be a little bit overwhelmed or maybe feeling a little bit of guilt, right? That the fact that you haven't been missional or being intentional. And I want us to actually, I want to encourage us to stay in that tension. I want to actually encourage us to stay in that feeling. Because why, if, if, the, if, if that guilt and conviction is actually from God, he's going to actually lead to transformation. If the guilt and conviction is from God, it's going to lead to transformation. How do I know this? Because the Word of God says so. The Word of God says that godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I want us to stay in your conviction. Don't cop out. The easy thing for us right now is tell lies and things that we want to hear to justify our actions or inactions. That's an easy thing to do right now. But the hard thing is, how do we go from conviction and guilt to transformation? 
And I think that there are two things that I, can, I think we can practically take away from the passage and from what we know. And the first thing I think, I think we need to be reminded is it's the glorious gospel that we have, the gospel that we adore and love so much. The fact that is that, that Jesus knew that you will be fallen. The fact is that Jesus knew that you will be disobedient to his calling. The fact that Jesus knew that you were fallen and you're dirt, you're dirt poor in spiritual health, but Christ still came anyways. That he still came and died for our sins. That he took our sins on the cross, not just sins that we have committed, but sins we will commit and committing. And that he, put, he took our sins on that cross and he was dead. And when he was risen from his death on the third day, he gave us new identity. He gave us the truth. He gave us a gospel mission that we are no longer just defined by our disobedience or inadequacy, but the word of God and the power of God has equipped us, the very power that we're not just some normal human beings, but we are powerful witness for Christ because of the gospel, because Christ saw something good in us, that he has called us for his mission. I don't know why, but he has called us something more beautiful than what could ever even dream of. This is the mission, and the gospel gave us that identity, gave us that power. So I want us to be reminded of that beautiful gospel that we're always going to be sinful, but Christ is always good. That Christ as his beloved children of God, and not only just made us his beloved children, but he has called us his soldiers and missionaries because of the work of the gospel. That is the gospel truth that we hold on to, that we love so much. And the last thing, I want to remind, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, <coughs> is this, the angels told the disciples that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back in the same way that he ascended to heaven, glorious and personal. But we know that in Revelation, Jesus is coming back in more glorious ways than we could ever imagine. When he ascended to heaven, only his disciples saw him. But when he's coming back, every eye will shall see him. On his ascension, he was alone, going into heaven alone. But on his return, Jesus will come with millions of his saints of God. The heaven, the, the armies of heaven, according to Revelation 19, it says that, oh, behold, a white horse, the one who's sitting on his call, faithful and true and in righteousness. Jesus is going to come back in glory. And if he's coming back soon, which he is, and I believe that we must have the urgency to proclaim Jesus. The fact is that there are thousands of people in 2020 will die apart from believing in Jesus and they will spend their rest of their lives in hell. That's the gospel truth. The fact is there are millions and billions of people who will perish apart from hearing the name of Jesus Christ. And that's a truth. That's what we believe. That's why we are so passionate. That's why time is running out so that we can tell people and plead people the time is running out. Jesus is coming back. But we plead on behalf of them, turn from their sins. Turn from their sins. And this is the gospel truth that we have, that God has called us all of his ambassadors. God has called us all of his soldiers. This is the best part. God has made us his plan A and not plan B. The, the, the ways to, that he reaches the world is through us. 
not through supernatural miracles, not through technology, not through money, but the ways, the, the only way, the only prime way, the plan A that God has ordained to reach the world is through us, normal people, you and I, moving to overseas, moving to Wicca Park, moving to different places for the gospel. We are the plan A. And I just want to plead with you as you're preparing for New Year and as you're ending 2019, I want us to be reminded what we are called here in the first place. It's not just for us to, to enjoy fellowship, although fellowship is great, and praise God for fellowship, but we're called here for more than what we are called to, what we're doing now. And let me end you, let me end you with one quote. One scholar, which I love his quote, he said this, Church of Christ, the records of these acts of the Holy Ghost have never reached completeness. This is one book which has no proper close because it waits for new chapters to be added so fast, so far as the people of God shall reinstate their blessed spirit in his holy seat of control. So what he's trying to say is the book of Acts is an unfinished story. There's only 28 chapters in book of Acts. But if you look at the book of Acts at the ending, it just seems very anticlimactic. The reason is that Luke is inviting us to be part of Acts 29 the part of Acts 30, the part of Acts 31, that our stories, our missionary stories right now are being written in the book of life. We are part of Acts 29. We are part of Acts 30. And I pray that when, when God calls us, when God gives us opportunities, we will say the same words that Isaiah said to God, God, send me. Here I am. Send me. And that's the word of God. So would you bow your heads with me and pray?